Well, there was a, a man who was really faithful in his prayer life. He would get up every morning and he would pray something like this, God bless me, bless my day, bless my family. And then every, as he went throughout the day, he would eat his meals and he would say, God bless this food that's before me. And then he would go to bed at night, and before he went to bed at night, he would pray again, God bless me, God bless my family, God bless this night. And as he would pray, what he would do to, to just remind himself of all these times that he prayed, is every time he prayed, he would take a walnut, and he would put it in a glass jar. And so over the years, he, he prayed thousands and thousands of prayers. So he had all these walnuts that were in these glass jars that were all over his house. They were on windowsills, they were on shelves, they were in drawers, they were just everywhere. And he would look at those and think, man, just how faithful I've been in prayer. Look at all these prayers that I've prayed up to God. And then one night he had a dream. And in that dream, Jesus came to him. And Jesus began to take those walnuts and he began to crack the shells. And every time he did that, inside of those shells, there was nothing but dust. And Jesus said to this man, he said, that's what your prayer life has been like. It's dry. It's empty. You just keep praying the same things over and over again. Now, I wonder how many of you can kind of relate to that. I know I can at some times in my life, right? Where sometimes our, our prayer life just seems kind of dry. It seems like we kind of get in these ruts of praying. And, and, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think there's a lot of different reasons that, that I think all of us would have to admit. We don't pray as consistently as we'd like, right? We don't always pray with the depth that we'd like. We're, we're kind of like that man. It's easy to pray some things like, God bless my life and bless my family and bless my food. But, but there are some other prayers that are just a lot harder for us to pray. And this week I was thinking about why is it that we have such a hard time praying? And there's a lot of different reasons. I read one blog this week that was done by uh, Kathy Laurie. She's the, the wife of Pastor Greg Laurie. And she came up with three reasons why people don't pray as much as they'd like. And here's, here's the three reasons. She said, first of all, we think we don't have time. Secondly, we don't think it's important. And third, we don't believe that it really makes any difference. And I suppose those are some reasons why we don't really pray. I, I think all of those are probably true to some extent. But I think there's a couple of other reasons that sometimes we don't pray as consistently and, and deeply as we'd like to. One of those reasons is that, and, and how many of you have felt like this, well, I don't really pray well enough, right? You listen to someone else pray, and they have just the right words, and they know how to, to pull in some scripture verses as they pray, and they have all these fancy words and these and thous and everything, and you think, man, I would love to be able to pray like that, but I just don't know how. But I think even a, a bigger barrier to that is sometimes we, we kind of get in a prayer rut. We kind of get bored with prayer because we're just praying the same things over and and over and over again, and, and sometimes I, th I think we wonder, does that really make any difference? Is there really a reason for me to, to keep praying like that? And so this morning, what I want to share with you is that there are these things that we're going to call dangerous prayers. 
So over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about dangerous prayers. And you might be thinking, well, what is that? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. But these are the kind of prayers that I guarantee you that if you'll pray them from the heart, God will use those to to radically transform your prayer life and to radically transform your walk with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this morning, we're going to answer the question, what is dangerous prayer? And then for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some dangerous prayers that you can pray. We're going to look at three different prayers. And we're going to do that by looking at the life of Jacob. And you guys are probably familiar with the life of Jacob. We're going to look this morning in Genesis chapter 32. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up there. Uh, This is going to be a familiar passage for a lot of you. As a matter of fact, I preached a sermon on this exact passage a little less than a year ago in January of last year. In the sermon series, we were talking about never looking back or never going back. We're going to look at it from a little different angle this morning and, and look at this prayer that Jacob prays. Now, Jacob is a really interesting guy. His life is characterized by conflict. It's characterized by running away. It's characterized by by deceiving people and manipulating people to get what he wants. And as we come to this this point in his life now, we're going to look at this encounter that he has with God. And we're going to see that he prays in the midst of this, this, this dangerous prayer that we're going to look at this morning. Now, right up to this point, Jacob had been living with his father-in-law Laban. And he finally, he's ready to leave, and like he always does, he comes up with his own plan, and and he kind of sneaks out in the middle of the night, and he leaves with his two wives, his two concubines, and and all his children that range from preschoolers up to like young teenagers. And God tells him, I want you to go back to the land of your fathers. He tells him this in Genesis chapter 31. But he knows when he goes back there that he's going to run into his brother Esau. And the last time he saw Esau, Esau had vowed to kill him. So he's not real thrilled about about this whole thing. So he comes up with this elaborate plan where he's going to send all these gifts ahead of him to try to appease his brother. And then he's going to break his party up into these different groups. And he's going to send everyone else ahead of him to try to kind of feel out Esau and see what's going on. He's going to kind of come up from the rear, of course. He's a real courageous guy. Send everyone else out. And hope that by then that, that Esau's ready for him. And in the midst of that, as, he, as he's fleeing, he, uh, he and Laban have, have this confrontation and they agree to go their separate ways and they even set up these, this pillar that says you can't cross here. So he's, he's pretty much going to see Esau. And he's not too thrilled about that. And so we come to this passage here in, in Genesis chapter 32. So let's go ahead and read it. I'm going to begin reading this morning. In verse 22, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, and you can follow along. It says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. That's going to be a key part of what we're going to look at this morning. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he says, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. It's kind of interesting here. We, uh, we see that Jacob wrestles here. And it's not 100% clear exactly who he's wrestling with here, is it? tells us at the beginning of the passage, it says he, he wrestled with a man. But we know as the passage goes along, this is not just any ordinary man, right? The prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 12 tells us here that he wrestled with, quote, the angel. And then even later in this passage, we see that, that Jacob recognizes this is no ordinary man. He says, I, I've seen God face to face. And so he even names the place after God. That uh, name Peniel, it means that he's seen God face to face. I think, and a lot of other scholars think, that, that what this is is probably what we call a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because if we think about the triune God, we think about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is the only person of the God who, had, who ever appears in human flesh. It's God the Son, right? Jesus Christ. So it seems very likely here that he's actually wrestling with Jesus. But whether it's Jesus or whether it's an angel or, or whether it's God the Father, the fact is he, he has this encounter with God here. And, he, and, and in this encounter, he prays what is a dangerous prayer. So I want to see, can you help me? What do you think is the dangerous prayer that Jacob prays here? Anyone having a thought? Might not seem all that dangerous, but I think it is, as we'll explain. Yeah. Look at, look at what is it, verse 26. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, at first glance, doesn't that kind of seem a lot like the prayers we pray? Like, God bless me. God bless my food. God bless my plans. God bless me. God bless me. But as we look at the entire context here, we're going to see this is indeed a dangerous prayer. And so this would probably be a good time for us to answer the question that I said we'd answer before. What is dangerous prayer? And here's how we're going to define it in this series. That dangerous prayers ask God to bless us by first breaking us. That's why they're dangerous, because they ask God to bless us. We would all do that but they do it by asking God to first break us. And that's what happens in here. He's hanging on to God, and he, he's going to be broken here in this encounter with God. And he's broken in two ways here. The first way is a, a physical way, right? God touches him on the hip, and it separates his hip, and, and he goes around limping after that. And that's going to be a constant reminder to Jacob for the rest of his life of this encounter that he's had with God there. So he breaks him physically, 
But he breaks them in another way that might not be quite so obvious here. He asks what seems to be a pretty innocuous question. He says to Jacob, what is your name? Now in our culture, names don't often mean a whole lot. I mean, a lot of people just come up with really weird names for their kids, right? I mean, just I could ask my wife. She gets a lot of them in her classroom every year. I mean, you would not believe there's like a hundred different ways to spell names like Haley, you know? And, and, and they come up with all these different names, but, and, and they just do it for a lot of different reasons. But back in Jacob's day, names meant something. Names were to be a description of the character of a person, who they were. And so when God asked Jacob, what is your name? He, what he's really asking Jacob is, what kind of a man are you? And when Jacob answers, and he says, my name is Jacob, what he's doing, he's indicating, yeah, I recognize what kind of a man I am. See, the name Jacob, it's a name that means something like to grasp the heel. And that's literally what Jacob did when he was born. His, his twin brother Esau was born first, and, and Jacob is born literally grasping the heel of his brother. It's a word that also means supplanter. And unfortunately for Jacob, it becomes kind of a, a prophetic look into what his life is going to be like. The guy, all throughout his life, he gets by by, by coming up with plans to deceive people. And to manipulate people to get the things that he wants. He even tries to do that with God. He comes up with his own plans. And, and he's, he's done that here. He came up with his plan to meet Esau. And he basically prays to, to God and says, God, I want you to bless my plan. And so when he's confronted here with who he is, God, God breaks him here. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. And as God, he has to break him before he can bless him. Does God bless him? Absolutely. But he has to break him first before Jacob gets that blessing. And sometimes in our life, that same thing happens for us. Sometimes God has to break us before he can bless us. And the three prayers that we're going to look at for the next three weeks are all prayers in which we're at basically praying for God to break us so that he can bless us. And I, can, I think you can see now why those are dangerous prayers to pray, aren't they? But they're prayers that we need to be able to pray if we want God to change us and to make us more like Jesus. So from this passage, I want to I do two things. First of all, I want to talk about some prerequisites for being able to pray this kind of prayer. And then I want to talk about what are the impacts of praying dangerous prayers like that. So let's look first at some of the prerequisites. I'm going to pick out just three of them here. And the first one is solitude. And I don't have to tell you that we live in a world where, where we have distractions around us 24-7, right? I mean, that's probably always been true to some degree, but now we carry around these little devices in our pockets that are constantly vibrating and, and beeping and flashing, and they're always just gra trying to grab our attention. And that's not the only thing. There's, there's things going on around us all the time in the world that are trying to distract us and, and get our attention. And the same thing had been true in Jacob's life. He didn't have a cell phone in his pocket, obviously. But he was constantly distracted by the things around him. He was constantly distracted by trying to get the things that he wanted in his life and do it in the way that he wanted. And it's not until he finally gets alone and gets solitude with God 
that he's able to, to pray this dangerous prayer. As far as I can tell from reading the Bible, there's really only one other time in his life when Jacob had done that. He was on a, a journey about 20 years earlier from Beersheba to Haran. And, and maybe you remember this story. He, he lies down and he goes to sleep and he has this dream. And in this dream, God comes to him and says, Jacob, I'm going to give you this land that you're sleeping on right now and all this land around it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. He makes a promise to him. And Jacob does respond to God, but not with this, this full commitment to God. Here's what it says in, in, in Genesis about how he, how he responds. It says, then Jacob made a vow to God saying, if, if, there's a key word, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. So he makes a vow to God here, but it's a pretty conditional vow, isn't it, at that point in time? He says, God, if, you, if you'll keep your promises, then, then I'll follow after you. I'm sure none of you have ever done anything like that, right? Never made a promise. He says, God, if you'll get me out of this situation, then I'll go ahead and follow you, right? Nobody's ever done that. That's what Jacob does here. Now, we all know that God is faithful to keep his promise. God was going to keep his promise, but, but Jacob is kind of still hedging his bets at this point. And we know he doesn't really make a full commitment to God because he leaves that place and he, he keeps going on living the way he lived his life before that, pretty much. Nothing really changed. He's still going around manipulating people and deceiving people, trying to get the things that he wants by, by all kinds of means. And it's not till he finally this time gets along with God. Now God, as he gets along with him this time, is going is to change his life. And we know that happens because when Jacob leaves this place to go out and to confront his brother Esau, he no longer sticks to the plan that he came up with before. Instead, he says to, to all the entourage that's traveling with him, look, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go first. I'm not going to send all these gifts in front of me. I'm not going to send all of you out first. I'm going to go out and I'm going to meet Esau and I'm going to trust that God's going to do whatever God wants to do in my life. But that's only after he has this solitude. And the same thing is true for us, isn't it? We're so distracted. We need this time just to get alone with God and have this time of solitude where we can speak to God and let God speak back to us in prayer. It means that we find a quiet place and we take our Bible and we just we allow God to speak through His Word. And, and I'm going to be real honest, for some of you like me that tend to, to read your Bible a lot on your computer or on your phone, I mean, sometimes just picking up the good old copy of your Bible and going somewhere quiet where you don't have a phone, where you don't have a computer, where you don't have a TV or a radio or anything else to distract you and just allow God to speak to you as you speak to Him. So we have to have that, that solitude. The second prerequisite is what I would call self-awareness. We already talked about this question that, that God asked Jacob. Jacob, what's your name? And when Jacob answers that question, he, he indicates that he knows who he really is. He understands that, 
that he, his life hasn't been one that's real pleasing to God. So he admits, yeah, I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm the one who grasps the heel. I'm the, I'm the supplanter, God. That's who I am. And sometimes a lot of us have gone to great lengths in our life to hide from some things in our life that we need to, we need to bring to the surface like God did with Jacob there. There's some things that we've hidden from other people. There's some things that we've hidden from ourselves by ignoring them or excusing them or rationalizing them or trying to explain them away. There's even some things that we've tried to hide from God, although obviously that's impossible, right? And before we can really pray these dangerous prayers, what we have to do sometimes is just to to be aware of those things, to let God speak into our lives. And some of these prayers that we're going to, that we're going to, talk about over the next three weeks are really prayers asking God to do that to speak into our lives and to reveal the things there that we need to take care of the third thing here is surrender there has to be this sense of surrender and as as we talked about before Jacob hadn't done that before he had an encounter with God before but he never really surrendered his life he kept on trying to do things his way and even right up to the point where he has this encounter he's basically said to God God here's my plan will you bless it but now he comes to the place where he finally says no God you know what I'm going to give all that up I'm going to trust in you and even though I know that You're going to have to break me before you can bless me. That's okay because I'm going to just lay my life out before you. And sometimes that's what we have to do too. We have to come to the place where we just get rid of our own self-sufficiency. When we quit trying to do things our way and our time. And we just have to give that over to God and say, God, I surrender. I'm willing to do it your way, even if that hurts. So what happens when we pray like that? What happens when we get alone with God and we surrender to Him and we're self-aware? There's, there's three impacts that I think that will have on our life. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. The first one is that they'll change our identity. In Jacob's case, it actually involved a change in his name, right? God says to him, he says, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer one who grasps the heel. You're no longer the supplanter. He says, now you're Israel. You're the one who has strived with God. And not only does he change his name, but he gives him a new purpose in life. He gives him a new role in, in his kingdom. We see that a little later on in Genesis chapter 35 when God comes back to Jacob again and, and reinforces this idea of changing his name. And here's what, here's what happens there in Genesis chapter 35. It says, And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. He changed Again, he reinforces that. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So he says... I'm not only going to change your name, I'm going to give you a new purpose. Out of you is going to come an entire nation, an 
entire nation of people. And you're also going to be kings that will come from your lineage. And we know as we get to the, the New Testament Scriptures, that goes all the way to Jesus. So he's even promising that the Messiah is going to come from his line. So he gives him a whole new purpose. Now, God is probably not going to come to you and change your name. But when you pray some of these dangerous prayers, I'm pretty sure he's going to come along and he's, he may give you a new purpose. He may give you a new role. He may give you a new identity in Christ. Second thing that happens is that, that these dangerous prayers, they mark our lives. For Jacob, it was a, a hip, a physical thing that he would remember for all his life. To remember this encounter he had with God. For us, that probably won't happen. But you know what? When you pray some of these dangerous prayers, there are times that you'll be able to look back on later in your life and say, God, I, I could see you at work in my life because I was willing to pray that dangerous prayer back then. And then finally, they draw us close to God. I mean, Jacob had a relationship with God prior to this, but it wasn't very close. It wasn't very deep. It was still based on what Jacob could get out of God, not what God wanted for him. And the more that we pray these dangerous prayers, the, the more they're going to draw us closer to God. So we've seen this morning that dangerous prayers ask God to bless us by first breaking us. And the thing is that most of you in this room, most of you joining us online have already prayed one of those dangerous prayers in your life. You know when that was? It's the time that you committed your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. That was a, a fairly dangerous prayer because it took the things that we talked about this morning. It took some solitude. It took just getting alone with God. It took some self-awareness to understand that you were a sinner who could do nothing about your own sin, who could do nothing to earn your way to God so that you needed a Savior. And it involves surrendering your life to Jesus, to putting your faith in Him 100% alone. And it did the three things that we talked about, didn't it? Didn't it? Um, it marked your. It gave you a new identity, didn't it? When you became a Christian, here's what Paul wrote about that in Second Corinthians. He said, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You have a new identity. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come." You also have a place to look back. It marks your life. You can look back upon that time to that decision you made and see how God is working in your life. And so if you've never done that before, we, we encourage you. You need to do that today. That has to be the first step. You'll never be able to pray any of these other dangerous prayers until you first pray that one, until you first surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But for the rest of us who have already done that, I have a question for you. And here's the question that I want to ask. Am I willing to pray dangerous prayers? And I want to ask you that this morning before I even tell you what the dangerous prayers are going to be that we're going to talk about the next three weeks. Because I want you to make that commitment ahead of time. These, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, these are hard prayers to pray. But I can also guarantee you that if you pray them, God will work in a miraculous way in your life to draw you closer to Him 
and to make you more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want my prayer life to get stuck in a rut. I don't want to just be storing up a bunch of empty walnuts on the shelf that Jesus is going to come along and crack open and say, Pat, your prayer life is sure dry and empty. And so not only am I willing to pray some of these dangerous prayers, I look forward to praying some of these dangerous prayers. And I pray that that is the case in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, these, this is hard. Father, none of us want to be broken so that we can be blessed. We just want life to be easy. But then we think of your son, Jesus. Think of the way that he was broken in so many ways so that we could be blessed through him. So, Father, my prayer, first of all, is for anyone who's never put their faith in you. And I ask that today they would make that decision to put their faith in Jesus. Pray your Holy Spirit would be speaking to their heart right now, convicting them of their need for a Savior. For the rest of us, Father, I pray that today we would just commit in our hearts, Father, to to be able to pray some of these dangerous prayers, to be willing to be broken so that we could be blessed. Ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.